This is attorney Andy Markintel and attorney Mark J. Victor. We are the Attorneys for Freedom, and you, my friends, are listening to the Peace Radicals podcast. How's it going, Mark? Awesome, man. Always happy to be on Peace Radicals. We always have a great conversation. I'm always looking forward to it, and so... uh, Yeah, we want to get to it. Yeah, it's the end of a day on a Monday, and holy cow, it's been a busy day around the law firm, running around like crazy all around uh, our two law firms in Arizona and Hawaii. And uh, business is booming, and it feels like the world is returning to normal after this long lull of the pandemic, and uh, there's not a shortage for a need for criminal defense attorneys right now, that's for sure. People are getting charged with crimes. Some of them actually victim crimes. Many of which are victimless crimes. Yeah, and they're not all ridiculous victimless crimes. So in other words, what you're saying is that the current law in America is not perfectly calibrated to the live and let live principle at this point. That's right, but it's going to be as a result of what we're working on right now. That's a great uh, way to transition. Mark, say I'm just clicking on this video for the first time and I have no idea what this whole live and let live movement thing's all about. What's it all about? I only need about four hours to explain it. No, but in a nutshell, uh, live and let live is the world's only real peace movement. Why do I say real peace movement? Because you can't get to peace if you allow aggression. If people are hitting other people over the head, there's no, why are we even talking about peace? And so live and let live is this sort of notion, exactly what it says. It means what it says, live and let live. We, we're all equals on the planet. We're in charge of ourselves, our body, our property, our money, our time, but we are not in charge of other people's body, property, money, or time. And so we derive from this phrase, live and let live, the notion of what we call the live and let live principle. And the live and let live principle really is a legal principle that we think all laws ought to be calibrated around. And let me explain it. Don't be an aggressor. Don't be an aggressor. If you're not an aggressor, you shouldn't have any problems with the law. That's what we're saying. And so what's an aggressor? Somebody who initiates force against another person or their property. Someone who engages in fraud or coercion. Those are pretty easy to see as an aggressor. There's another category, a little bit uh, more complex. This is what we lawyers would say, putting another person or their property at a substantial risk of harm. What does that mean? Don't put other people in harm's way. Don't do risky things that other people got to interfere with their lives now and say, hey, man, don't do that. What what kinds of things are we talking about? Recklessly uh, firing a gun out into the world, those kinds of things, dangerously storing explosives, those, those kinds of things, uh, getting drunk and driving your car down the road so you're weaving all over the place on the wrong side of the road. Those kinds of things should also be against the law because they violate the live and let live principle. So if it violates the live and let live principle, it should always be illegal. If it doesn't violate the live and let live principle, that means it should be legal. Uh, But Mark, I'm a bad actor and I think I've figured it out here. I'm going to subvert all these legal rules by forming a group and Uh, calling myself a government. And I'm joint, dude, I, I figured out how to beat the system, right? Right. A lot of people think this, and people get confused on this point, because, you know, nobody listening to this show disagrees with anything I just said, right? They get confused about this when we start forming a group, right? And so we think that this, to be fair, we're all equals. We don't care what color your skin is. We don't care where you were born. We don't care what language you speak. We got to get past all this crazy stuff where we are paying too much attention to the color of one's skin or where you're born or something like that. We got to get past that. We're all human beings. So this live and let live principle 
it applies to everybody. And even if you get together and form a little group, if me and you now say, hey, we're a little group, do we get to violate the principle? Well, obviously this is ridiculous and it's easy to see in a small group. But what if we make the group bigger? What if we have a large organization or even a corporation? Should we permit these larger groups to violate the rule just because they formed a group? Of course not. This seems ridiculous on its face. So not only does this live and let live principle, should it apply to big groups and corporations? We don't want corporations to violate the rule. It should also apply to all governments as well. Governments are groups. They don't just uh, pop into existence. These are created by individual humans. And again, why would we ever want the government to violate the live and let live rule? I mean, do you want the government to initiate force or to be involved in fraud or be coercing people or to be doing things that put us at risk of harm. So that should apply to all people, all groups, all governments, all corporations. Don't violate the live and let live rule. And sometimes I like to say it sort of in a flippant way. Do whatever you want. Just don't violate the rule. And if we got that, we'd have a free society and a free world. But we're a peace movement. And so peace requires something more than just don't be an aggressor. Peace requires just a tad of what we like to call aspirational values, stuff that you can blow off if you want. You don't have to follow any of this, but we think you should. And we want to inspire people to follow the aspirational values. What are the aspirational values? Well, there are things like being open-minded, open-mindedness, tolerance towards other people and maybe how they live their lives, voluntary kindness, not forced kindness, but voluntary kindness, civility, acting in a way that's at least civilized, right? If you have a disagreement, let's agree to disagree like gentlemen or gentlewomen, as the case may be. Things like building high levels of trust with other human beings, things like being committed to the truth or facts, whatever they are, even if they're, we're mistaken about them, hey, if the true facts become revealed, let's accept those and move forward. And rational thought and reasonable judgments. Why do we care about this stuff? Well, these go to our overall goals of increasing human happiness or optimizing human happiness while decreasing human suffering. And I want to be clear on these. If somebody proposed a law to say everybody must be open-minded or everybody must be tolerant or everybody must be kind or everybody must even be civilized, we would oppose that because these are ethical rules. And so this person who acts in such a way wouldn't be part of the live and let live movement, but they should be left alone. You have a right to be a complete jerk, to be uncivilized and unkind and and closed-minded and intolerant as long as you don't violate that principle. That's, That's good enough. And so that's really, in a nutshell, what the live and let live movement is about. If this makes sense to you, uh, sounds a lot better than the Republicans or the Democrats, check out liveandletlive.org and actually do something to help improve the world. I like to say be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Very nice job, Mark. Let's get a third person involved in this conversation and probably a very important freedom activist. Uh, this is Terry Brock, and he is the founder of a project called Agorapreneurs, which I'm sure we're about to hear all about. Terry, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Great to be here, guys. Really looking forward to it. So why don't you start by just introducing yourself to the listeners and tell them what's this Agorapreneurs project all about? 
Well, agorapreneurs is a word that we made up. We being Gina, Carr, my partner and I, and we talk about the agora lifestyle. If you look that up, agora is an ancient Greek word that talked about open spaces and the idea of people interacting voluntarily and peacefully with each other there. Uh, the idea of agorism has been around for a little while. You look that up in Wikipedia, you'll see it's people doing what they want to do. It might not necessarily be according to a law that is written in a coercive way, but it really relates to, well, uh, live and let live is exactly what the Agora lifestyle is all about. You live your life, do whatever you want. But the other part of that, as Mark likes to say, is you let others live the way they want. Do anything you want to do. And I mean, use your imagination on that. Anything as long as, number one, you take responsibility. Number two, you don't harm other people or take their stuff. And that's real simple. And so the idea is on the entrepreneur side is you're going out and creating abundance for others. And so what I do and I've been doing now for, oh, gee, I guess about uh, 38 years or so, I'm off to a good start there uh, as a professional speaker. I bounce around the world. I talk to people about technology and building relationships with technology so that you can help other people and making the world a better place all around. So that's kind of who I am and what Agorapreneurs is all about. Carrie, tell us a little bit about your background in the Freedom Crowd, because we met down in um, Acapulco, as I remember. I think that's where we met. You were actually the MC of a project that's called Anarchapulco. Yes. And uh, I think we met there. So um, tell, tell everybody kind of uh, your freedom creds, if you will. Well, I believe strongly in freedom. I guess I started because uh, I had to move from there. I'll go way back. And when was it? 1996, I think it was. And I voted for a guy named Jimmy Carter. Because I thought, gee, I don't know. I think economics is such that I don't understand it. But the rich, wait, Jimmy Carter, be, wait, 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 Jimmy Carter wasn't ninety six. This Jimmy Carter, no, no, you're, you're, right, seventy six. Excuse 76, me, seventy six. Yeah, seventy six. And I voted for the guy. Well, I didn't know any better because I didn't know what was going on. But in eighty, I got into, uh, went to uh, Georgia State for my MBA, and I heard about a thing called Free to Choose, a TV oh, show yeah. with a guy named Milton Friedman. Yes, and he talked about the baby. I go, ooh. This kind of makes sense. I started studying economics and understand. I thought, oh, this does. And I kind of shifted there. That was where it started moving for me. And when I started realizing, wait a minute, the idea of taking from somebody just because they have the money isn't really a good thing to do. And it doesn't make sense. Instead, what we need to do is go out and create more wealth, show people how to create more. So stayed in that and got involved with that. Heard about this uh, organization called the Libertarian Party and got involved a little bit there, seeing what libertarians were getting a chance to hang around people like uh, Walter Williams mm -hmm. and getting a chance to meet some people uh, there. It was a lot of fun. And then uh, let me roll it forward to the time that you and I got a chance to meet at uh, that group down in Acapulco. It was really good because we saw people that believed in freedom believed in liberty and getting involved there. I got a chance to meet some of my heroes, a guy I voted for for president in 1988 named Ron Paul and got a chance to meet Ron Paul and uh, to work with him down there. It was really fun because I uh, got a chance to uh, see him at another location where I was MC. I do a lot of MC work and I was kind of shepherding him around, working with him and other people. And then they told me what really made me feel good. You guys will relate to this. When the others picked Ron Paul up at the airport, 
he uh, was talking to them and he said, oh, by the way, is uh, who's going to introduce me? And they said, uh, Terry Brock will be introducing you. And he said, oh, good. I know Terry. And he worked with me there. And I thought, when you can have Ron Paul say that that's a good thing, I felt real good about that. But for me, Freedom Now is just the part of what I do. I don't call myself by any name other than, well, the one I made up, Agorapreneurs, but I believe strongly in live and let live. Do what you want to do. I borrow from the, the ideas and the thoughts of people that have gone way before us, like Lysander Spooner, like Murray Rothbard, Milton Friedman. Matter of fact, I got a chance to meet Milton Friedman once. I got to tell you, you want to know about the, the cred and where I got there. I was uh, negotiating, working with some folks there at the Cato Institute in Washington, D.C., talking to them about some opportunities. And I had a meeting. I think it was like a three o'clock meeting. Well, I like to get places early. So I was there about 2.30 just to make sure everything's okay. Had a little bit of time. And I, they, I said, well, can I wander around a little bit? They said, sure, no problem. And I went downstairs to the big meeting hall where all the seats are there and there's the stage. And as a speaker, we kind of gravitate toward those places. And I was there, just me in there looking around. And I went up to the stage and I thought, boy, think of the people that have spoken from here. And it was really uncanny. At that moment, the door in the back opened up and in walked Milton Friedman himself. Wow. I thought, whoa, this is amazing. I, and I went up to him and I shook his hand. I said, Dr. Friedman, just really appreciate what you did. You turned my life around with your free to choose series. It really helped me. And he said, you know, Terry, it's amazing. A lot of people have said that to me as well. And I thought, yeah, you know, he really helped us to see we should be free to choose. And I think that's what live and let live is all about. And I just applaud both of you guys for what you're doing and how you're moving with it. And for me, Mark, as you know, I am in the seriously considering getting involved in a more active way than just promoting it and telling everyone that they should join. I love it. What a great summary. So you, it would it be accurate to say that you were kind of were brought into the freedom movement really through an economic analysis. It was economics that brought you It was economics. Yep. It was watching Free to Choose and seeing him, Tom Sowell and others that were on that series. And then also reading on my own and then started reading this book that I don't know if either guy has heard of this one called Atlas Shrugged (laughs) by a a lady named Ayn Rand. You might have heard of that somewhere, but reading that, reading Robert Ringer and some of his work and start and through the books and reading i realized okay this now makes a little more sense because before i really didn't have any education other than what you would get in a high school before i went into undergrad school and uh but now i see the real key is exactly as you've said it mark you live and you let live that's what it's all about excellent summary you know it's interesting because you came in really from an economics argument which is really not focused on the principle that we talk about the live and let live principle it's, it's if I could summarize it, it's look, it's if we have the right economics, which is if we have free market and people are free to trade with other people and uh, wealth moves according to the owners of the wealth voluntarily. Well, then we'll have higher standards of living and people will live better on the planet. Um, a que- an issue we actually don't quite reach with live and let live because right? we know it's the case that. Well, that's a utilitarian it, approach, yeah, whereas it, we're looking yeah. at what's the correct moral answer to guide people's actions. But uh, which is which is what he got when he read Atlas Shrugged. He got the the moral case, what, which you might call the objectivist case for why you act the reasons the way you act. And so I think it's an interesting discussion. But for live and let live, we don't we don't reach that question. Right. How people get get to the principle live and let live is not something we talk about very often. Some people get there from economic analysis. Some people get there from sort of this uh, ethical 
uh, argument. Some people get there because they're religion. We've had a couple of people on this show, one who made the case for Christianity, the other who recently made the case for Islam. If you are either of those faiths, there's a Peace Radicals episode that says, look, you should be for live and let live. So how people get to this principle isn't really something we should argue about. Some people are social contractarian types. They have arguments about implied contracts and others are natural law people. We, We don't reach that question because we don't want to argue about that. Most people get to live and let live if they think about it. Once they get there, now we talk to them and say, hey, here's how the world could work perfectly fine. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to split hairs about how you got to the right answer, as I told exactly. uh, our good friend and podcast guest Richard Stevens. I don't care if you woke up this morning and a magical banana told you to live your life by the live and let live principle. As long <laughs> well, as I actually had that, that today. Yeah, it was a banana. It was in the neighborhood here in Orlando. <laughs> so, Terry, you've been around the freedom movement a long time. And uh, if you go back to Milton Friedman, and Milton was saying some really fantastic things. I Personally, his son, David Friedman, has been yes. to my house on, on, I think, once, maybe two occasions. And I, mm-hmm. I, I finished his book, The Machinery of Freedom. He's an absolutely brilliant guy. Yes, lots has been written in generations now from, the, from Milton Friedman to David Friedman. And David is no youngster. Why hasn't the freedom movement made more progress, in your opinion? I don't know exactly, but I think it's about communication, how we communicate and what we say, what we do and how we're getting along with others. If we come at it from a point of view that people consider wacky or uh, here's that term extreme, whatever they define as extreme, it doesn't work. I think what we need to do is more of really what you're talking about, Mark, the idea of live and let live. I've used that philosophy around the world. So I go different places around the world speaking different languages, different cultures, in a bar or pub or uh, whatever. Sit down and talk with them. I found usually after about the second or third local drink, you get a chance to find out what they're really thinking. And I say, hey, I got an idea. What do you think about this philosophy? Live your life doing anything you want as long as you take responsibility and you don't harm another. How does that sound to you in your culture? And and my non-scientific random sampling Everyone has said, yeah, that sounds good. And I think if we communicate it that way versus you should go with candidate A because candidate B is going to try to ruin the world. And candidate A, I know he's not perfect, but by golly, he's good. And I think, no, no, no. Ron Paul helped us on that. You're still then voting for the evil of two lessers. And we don't want to embrace that at all. I think the idea really ties in. Matter of fact, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. The idea of live and let live really parallels and goes along very well with what Leonard Reed said, the founder of the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Anything that's peaceful. Of course. And I think if it's peaceful, that's the key. Yeah, there are many ways to explain this principle. And so one of the things that I'm, I said in my book is uh, there's really no magic to the phrase live and let live. There are other ways to say it. Some people say live the golden rule. Other people call it the non-aggression principle. John Stuart Mill called it the harm principle. Some people might just say, look, you be in charge of you and I'll be in charge of me. What we're really trying to get to is a principle, right? It's the only principle that actually respects the dignity of other human beings to run their own lives, but doesn't Mm -hmm. always 
mean that everything's going to be equal. What do you say to people, Terry, who say, look, that sounds great, but this leads to an unequal world where some people become the haves and they have a whole bunch of wealth and other people become the have-nots and they don't get very much wealth. That doesn't seem like a good vision to me, so let's throw this out the window. What do you say to those people? I say that's a very good question and is something that we all see and we want to make sure that people are able to get along, but people aren't going to be equal. That's just the way it is on planet Earth. For instance, gee, I'd like to go out and be able to play basketball as well as uh, a Michael Jordan or uh, a LeBron James, but you know, it's just not in the genes for me. I can't do that. It, that's unfair. Does that mean we got to take LeBron James and cut his legs off? No, heavens no. Instead, what we do is we realize, okay, we have different areas that are going to be that way. Some people are really, really good earning more money in some areas. Jeff Bezos has earned more money than me by far, but he's also provided a lot more value. And I think what we've got to do is be able to say it's good and we can do it. And also, you got to look at Thomas Sowell's argument as compared to what? You know, this is a bad system or this is a good system as compared to what? To just say here, I think that you ought to do this because I have this dream. It's never really worked, but I have a dream that this will be the, well, good for you and your dream, but let's look at pragmatism. Let's look at what really works. And we know throughout history, the majority of people have done better. The average person has done better. The more free the market is, the more they're able to live and let live without some self-appointed or maybe they're elected, who knows? what people group of people thinking that they're more arrogantly responsible for us living our lives than we are. I like the way that uh, Penn Jillette says it. He says one of the best things about being libertarian, which he claims he's libertarian, is he says, I don't know how to best run your life. And so you know best how to run your life, not me. And I think if we can live our lives that way, we're going to all get along a whole lot better. Yeah. Let, let me ask you, too. I wanted to go back to your project you're working with because I'm trying to figure out, I mean, one of the themes that we have with people on this podcast who are promoting their own projects and freedom is we want to figure out how we can synergize our two products and promote each other. What What, what is um, Agorapreneurs? Uh, I, I know that you gave kind of a general thing. I mean, is it an organization that sponsors business people? Do you, Is there a group that you subscribe to? Tell us a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of your project. It's my YouTube channel and my podcast, and that's what it is. And the YouTube channel is to give the message and send that message out to the world in a practical way as well. I do a lot for it. I might show, hey, there's a new update on Zoom. Here's what you need to know about it. Well, that's the entrepreneur part, the entrepreneur showing people how to use this. Then I'll talk about the philosophy of getting along with people. I just recently had a chance to uh, interview the band uh, from uh, Russia called Leonid and Friends. They are very popular in taking YouTube by storm with over 100 million views. They're touring and they're talking about peace and living that way. I was talking to them about the idea of living peacefully. And even though they're from Russia, and they sing the songs of Chicago uh, and others that are out there. September, they sing uh, uh, 25 or 64, and it sounds just like the original band. Mm. And all these people are from Russia. So it's pretty amazing at over 100 million views. But showing them, hey, even though we're from different countries, even though we're in different places, we believe in living peacefully and having zero politics, but people to people having peace. That's really what it's all about. So it focuses, your podcast focuses, it sounds like more on the business side of promoting freedom. Is that fair? 
Every, yes, very much so on the business side. That's the practical way that we're looking at. It. I like the idea of what can we do? I look at uh, what uh, Ludwig von Mises wrote about with human action. Everything really comes down to economics. Mm-hmm. And it's not economics just with money, but it's how you interact with other people. He called it praxeology of human action, the way that people interact with each other. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Okay. Is the question for your opinion on this as, as an entrepreneur and as, as a business person, because we've definitely got mixed, uh, mixed answers on this from guests we've had on the podcast over time, which is from a, an economic perspective in terms of capitalism and free markets and free trade and things like that. Are we moving in the right direction globally or the wrong direction globally and why? I think you can make a case either way. I am concerned when I look at what's happening with increased socialism and is frankly communism, the principles of Das Kapital, what uh, Frederick uh, Engels and Karl Marx talked about in that work. And I think we need to read that to understand what they were talking about, much like we need to read uh, uh, other books that we disagree with to understand their point of view. I see it moving that way, but I also see a great movement toward freedom and the ultimate way of a monetary system working with cryptocurrency. I'm going to be an opening keynote speaker at a conference here in Florida over in Tampa in a couple of days talking about what Bitcoin, blockchain, and all these are about and the idea of money being free to people to spend without coercion of government and without someone saying, I'm going to deny you the right, Andy, to make that purchase because you had the wrong political um, views. And so I'm going to shut you down and not let you do business that way. Whereas with crypto, as you guys know, if you want to buy something from me and I want to buy something from you and we both have a crypto, we just agree among ourselves, we agree on the price and it can be done. And I think that's really freedom. So I think on that side, we're moving more and more toward freedom. So I think we're seeing a dichotomy here, the communism growing, and that's really what it is, more communism growing. We see, as we're recording this right now, conferences that are being held over in uh, um, Scotland, where they're talking about using coercion and force, definitely not a live and let live way of doing things. And I think we're also seeing here more embracing cryptocurrency. And that is really the ultimate way, I think, to win. It's peaceful, and it takes power away from a state that wants to control us. Yeah, on this subject of cryptocurrency, hasn't all cryptocurrency been made illegal to use in China? Yes, it has. They had, And they also banned mining just before that this year. And because of that, uh, I think they shot themselves in the foot twice. And I don't think that was a good idea for China to do, but... That's what China wants to do, and I'm not going to. Well, shouldn't uh, that tell us something? Shouldn't that tell us something? It tells us that they (laughs) might be having some problems then, because guess, and also they've been clamping down on the high tech companies there. And you think about that, that's where the innovation comes. That's where Ding Xiaoping was the one who said back in, I think it was in the 70s, 76 or so, he said, it is glorious to be rich. And that changed a country. It turned them around to say, hey, we're not going to embrace the ways of Mao so much. We're going to embrace our own unique way, but it's okay to be rich. Well, now I'm concerned that they're saying, no, you must follow these because we know better what to do for you. Now, the Chinese have a right to do what the Chinese want to do. I'm not anyway telling them what to do. I just look at it from a pragmatic point of view. What has worked economically and what hasn't worked? They're going down a path that might not be as good for them. And I'd love to see the U.S. and China get along well. I mean, think about it. We got along well with them in World War II. 
We Jimmy Doolittle made his first raid on Japan in January of 1942, right after the U.S. had been attacked in Pearl Harbor. And they were able to land in China. The Chinese people embraced them because of the free way we were doing things and the friendliness that we had. Why don't we go back to that? Let's get along rather than fight and argue with each other. Same thing with Russia. Hey, without Russia fighting Hitler, we might have had a different turnout in World War II because they took a brunt of a lot of it. We were allies at one time. I'd like to find those areas where we can agree first. We understand we're going to disagree in some areas. Okay, but we can get along better if we look at the areas where we agree first, embrace that, and then build from there, all guided by the live and let live philosophy. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's it's not a zero sum game, right? That's such an unfortunate Bingo. thing that people look at nations that we're in competition with, and they're the bad mm. guy. They're the other, right? And um, mm. th- this attitude that it's all a zero sum game um, is antithetical to everything we're trying to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a matter of saying, wait a minute, we can grow this. Matter of fact, I think that it's a a mindset that people have. Uh, Carol Dweck is a psychologist who's a professor out at Stanford University, and she talks about the idea of a growth mindset and that if you have that versus a fixed mindset, you can do better. Too many people, they say something happens to them. They go, see, it's happened to me because I'm a blank, fill in the blank, whatever they feel. Or it's because this person's a bad person. See, all these bad things are happening to me. They have a fixed mindset. Someone with a growth mindset, as she talks about, says, oh, this bad thing did happen. I'm acknowledging it. I see it. What can I do to get better? What can I do to improve? What could I have done to change that? How can I get better in the future with a growth mindset? And I think if we take that on an individual basis and then launch that into dealing with other people, other nations, we do a whole lot better. I think these are excellent points, Terry. And I know just because you and I have been friends a long time, I know you agree with this, but you really got to start with yourself, right? Bingo. You really got to start with the attitude of, you know what? My life isn't scripted. I'm, I'm free to make whatever decisions I want to make. I'm free to decide what my attitude is going to be in terms of my life. I'm not stuck with this or stuck with that or required to live my life any particular way. I'm a, I'm a competent adult and I can do whatever I want with my life. Then you got to figure out what is it you want to do with your life and set a goal. Yeah, as long as you're not harming someone else. Right. That's the only <laughs> restriction. And, and why? That's it. Yeah. And who would complain about this except those who want to be thugs, right? That, I mean, to put it, I, yep. I use that, that term intentionally. I mean, for somebody to disagree with what it is that we've laid out as the live and let live principle is to say, I think that the law ought to allow some people to aggress against others, at least at some times. I can't think of one example when I think that that ought to be the case. I I don't aggress against anybody. I don't initiate force against anybody or their property. I don't engage in fraud and I don't engage in coercion. And I don't, I do my best not to put anybody at a substantial risk of harm. And yet I've been able to live a a generally pretty happy, successful life. So if I don't have to do that, you don't have to do that. And Andy doesn't have to do that to live a successful life. And then we don't have to together aggress against anybody. Why are we putting up with aggression? That's the, and look, and we're not utopians, right? We know people are going to aggress. There are going to be thugs. There are bad guys in the world. People steal, people assault other people, people murder other people. What we're saying is 
When they do that, it ought to be always considered illegal. And when they don't do that, they might be acting in a way that we don't like. They might be acting in a way where we might say, look, this isn't a smart thing to do for your life. This isn't going to make you wealthier. It's not going to make you healthy. It's not, it's not moral. It's not ethical. It's not this or that. And we could try to persuade them all day long. And we should. We should try to help each other, right? I mean, Terry, I know if you were here and we got Andy cornered, we'd talk to him about the benefits of eating a whole food plant-based diet. Am I right or wrong about that? Uh, For me, it works beautifully. I love it. And I think everyone should do it as long as they want to. They do it for me. It is the best way. And by the way, my medical doctor says, yeah, Terry, you're doing really well with that. And uh, you can eat all the meat you want. And I say, doc, I already am. Zero. And so, and so I, I say this to Andy, and Andy says, you know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. Maybe it's a Let's healthier. See if he accurately uh, presents my position. Maybe it's what a, do I say? Maybe it's a healthier way uh, to to eat. But I don't really care about that. I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat, and if I die younger, then I die younger. That's his decision. Did I get that right? That is his that's, decision. That's yep. correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he has absolutely. Every, he has every right. And I personally think that the way Andy eats is not good for him. I think Andy should eat differently. But I'm in charge of this body, not that body. He gets to make absolutely. it. Absolutely. I can drive him crazy all day and say, Andy, you should eat this. You shouldn't you eat too much bacon. You shouldn't do this or that or the next thing. But look, I, at the end I of the mean, day, we all have the option to live as complete hermits in the absolute healthiest way that we can all live our life. But we all make compromises in places that's where it's true. like, you know what, I'm going to trade a certain amount of health points for a certain amount of pleasure points. And that's just fine with me because everything taken in balance is just fine. And that's what it means to be human. I couldn't agree. Absolutely. More. I think it was Mark Twain that said all things in moderation, including moderation. Yeah, and I think that's what we, so. Which means what some, we've got to do. Sometimes that guy, is, that guy is full of great quotes. I isn't guess. that excellent? And that means sometimes you can be extreme, right? Sometimes you can go a little crazy, just not too often. But but real quick, just Terry, don't hurt anybody. Yeah. But real quick, Terry, and I want to get your feedback on it. You probably heard. So the the pitch that Mark just gave is easy for most people to embrace on an individual level, right? I don't go around and aggress against people on my day to day life. But you probably heard me joke around with Mark at the beginning when he was giving his 30,000-foot view pitch for the movement and tell him, aha, I figured out a way to beat the system. I'll just form a group and call myself whatever I want to call myself, a government, a collective, whatever it may be. Why do we lose people here? Why is this? Why is there a disconnect here? This is where we lose most people. Mark said, I don't know. I would love to find out and talk to some really smart people that have studied sociology and psychology and all that. But I think it could be, I could be wrong on this, but thinking people say, oh, gee, somebody, let me use an example. Uh, You should not take, uh, for instance, cocaine or crystal meth and have that. It can harm you. I've never done that in my life, but there are those that uh, feel like that and they say it shouldn't. And therefore, we need to make it a law. Because it's a bad thing and people don't shouldn't do it. Look, we can point out people that died from this. We should then make it a law that if you do that, we're going to punish you for your own good. Damn it. You know, that's kind of the attitude they take. And I think they form groups so they can say, see, a majority of the people said you shouldn't do this. And therefore, that is the law and you have to obey the law. I'm thinking that might be their mentality. What do you guys think? Anybody who understands that the, the government aggresses against people or, or, or engages in aggression, I think also simultaneously, puzzlingly, 
understands the concept of, say, we've got a, uh, a, a thief that was hired by that person. I'm not the thief, but I hired the thief over there. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the thief is allowed to steal because it's a hired thief to do it. They understand that's morally inconsistent. They would understand arguments against utilitarian justifications for doing some, for aggressing against people, right? They understand yep. that if I'm, uh, if I'm completely healthy, they could kill me and distribute my organs and save 20 people and that the utilitarian effect of killing Andy without his consent would uh, be a utilitarian argument for more pleasure and more life safe. But they understand that that's immoral. So I right. so so even the utilitarian justification when pe- when not applied to something like a government people can understand is morally inconsistent. So I don't know. I don't know. This is this is an issue that I've been struggling with trying to figure out why we lose so many otherwise morally calibrated people when we extend these concepts to government. I think an important think, Oh, go ahead, Terry. Oh, I'm just saying I think their eyes glaze over because they've heard it's the law. You must do it. And they don't sit back and I go and I'll say, well, wait a minute. What about the Dred Scott decision? Many Americans will go, what is that? You know, well, you know, no, that was where they said if a slave was running away, this was in 19 or 1850, I think it was, and a slave running away and you're in, say, Ohio and you catch that slave, you are required by federal law to return the slave to their master or you're breaking the law. Was that a moral law? I think most people today would say absolutely not. That's immoral just because it's the law doesn't make it moral. In fact, it was interesting that you bring up the Dred Scott case because I was very, very fortunate that when I went to law school, my professor was Butler Schaefer. And one of the classes, Ooh, yes. one of the classes Butler taught was property. He's probably the only professor ever to begin his property class with the Dred Scott decision. And he, pre- he presents Dred Scott in the property class as the first case and raises the question, does Dred Scott own himself? And of course, the court decided, no, that Dred Scott should be returned back to the South because somebody else owned him. And he does that to make that point about this is really a fundamental question. Do you own yourself? That's exactly what we're talking about. With a, When I talk about what Andy should eat, the question is, who controls that body? Me or Andy? Me and you or Andy? Me and you and the rest of society or Andy? And we're simply answering Andy. He's the owner of the body. He should make the decision about that. But back to this other issue about why we lose people. I have a theory on this. I think we lose people because we don't talk about the critically important difference between a legal rule and a moral rule. And the reason we don't do that is because all freedom movements that I know about, including the libertarian movement, have focused solely on changing the law. They talk about the non-aggression principle and basically the law ought to be calibrated with the non-aggression principle. And they don't then push morals. They don't push any ethics. We're pushing ethics partly because we need to push these ethical principles to get to peace, but also partly because we need to have a reason to compare and contrast the difference between an ethical rule like open-mindedness and tolerance and voluntary kindness. And you noticed in my summary, I said, you can violate that all day long. That's important, right? Because to get to the point when you have a discussion with another person where the light bulb goes off, when does that light bulb go off? It goes off when people realize and they can say things like, prostitution oh that's a sin that's immoral i think that's terrible people should not engage in prostitution but 
because it doesn't violate the principle we're talking about, it should be legal. When somebody says to me, this is immoral, but it should still be legal, I say to myself, this this is somebody who understands the difference between a legal rule and a moral rule. Because most people don't think like that. They think drugs are bad, therefore they should be illegal. Prostitution is bad, therefore it should be illegal. Charity is good. We should help those less fortunate than us. And of course, I agree with this as well. Therefore, it should be legal to take people's money and redistribute it to other people who are less fortunate. They're importing their morality into the law, which would be great if we all agreed on morality. Maybe that would be okay, but we don't all agree on morality. We disagree on morality for good reasons. There's many good... Look, philosophers have been arguing about morality since there's been philosophers, right? They don't all agree. We should recognize this. We might agree on some lower points of morality, like, for example, the live and let live rule itself is not entirely divorced from morality, right? The rule against murder, we call that a legal rule. It's truly an ethical rule as well, but it's the least common denominator of morality. Show me a moral system somewhere in the world, or at least a popular one that's been very successful, that doesn't at least hold that aggression is wrong. Most moral systems of rational people say, look, aggression is wrong. This is what I would call the least common denominator. We take that and we put that into the law. That's what allows you to act voluntarily, right? That's what really what we're saying at the end of the day is human beings only have two possibilities in terms of their interactions, involuntary ones or voluntary ones. That's it. There's no other category. And all we're saying is if they're voluntary interactions, they should be legal. And if they're involuntary interactions, they should be illegal. We got to get this straight in the minds of other people. And because these other freedom movements haven't pushed morality at all, they haven't had occasion to make the distinctions between ethical rules and legal rules. And I think this is something we're doing that's very, very different in the live and let live movement than every other freedom movement in the past. And that's why we're calling it a peace movement, because to get mm-hmm. to peace, you need more than just don't be an aggressor, right? We could agree to not hit each other over the head and not aggressive. We might still hate each other's guts. We could be neighbors. I could yell at you every morning. You could yell at me every morning. We're not at peace. We're living in freedom. As long as we don't trespass on each other, we got freedom, but we don't have peace. We're not going to get to peace until we treat each other with some degree of kindness, right? Some open-mindedness, some tolerance, some if you will, be a better human aspects of the way we're acting. And since we're a peace movement, we have to import some of those. So that's my theory, I think, at least one of the major theories of why we haven't made progress because we haven't made a distinction in an effective way between legal rules and moral rules. How does that hit you? What are your thoughts? Oh, I agree completely. I think there's a difference there, and it's because we think what is moral should be the law. Right. What I determine as moral, I should rephrase that, and I think we've got to make that clear distinction. I love the way that you show the difference, and I think we would get along better if we could learn to be more tolerant. That's really what live, live and let live is strongly imbued with tolerance for others to say, oh, you do it that way. I don't like that kind of music. But if you like it and you're not forcing me to listen to it, okay, that's fine. Whatever it might be. And if we can have that degree of tolerance, it's much easier to say, hey, let's get a bunch of people together here and we're going to overpower you by being the majority and we're going to force our will on the rest of you. And unfortunately, that's the way this thing called a democracy 
is. I remember seeing a poster a little while back on the net, on the net, I think it was really good, where Socrates was there, a picture of Socrates with the Greeks. Socrates embraced democracy, and he was overruled and voted later that he they uh, forced him to kill himself. And I realized, yeah, that's what democracy is. It's not such a great thing. We need something where it's live and let live and not a matter of a majority or a mob can rule over you. Yeah, you know, this notion that democracy and freedom are sort of the same thing is just horribly mistaken. And you see people using these terms almost interchangeably, Mm -hmm. right? What they mean is freedom and what they say is democracy. We need to spread democracy around the world. People need to, you know, live more free and this and that. Democracy is just majority rule. If, if that was the case, we wouldn't need a constitution, right? The founding fathers of the United States came up with the constitution because they knew democracy is just what they, they said. They recognized the tyranny of the majority. That's right. And yes. The constitution was intended to take several things off the table, like, for example, free speech. We don't care what the majority says. You still get to speak your mind on this particular issue, even if the First Amendment is. doesn't say uh, the official uh, religion of the country is however many just take a vote on and whoever has the most votes. That's the official religion. Yeah. And I think I, I hate to go back to this, but I do think this is a major problem. And part of the reason we haven't made any progress, we have let the government take over the entire school system. We have Mm, let the government say, look, we are going to get to decide. We're seeing this play out right now with this critical race theory stuff where some people in the government have said, you know what? We've decided that this critical race theory stuff needs to be taught in the public school. And that's it. And some parents don't appreciate it. And we watch the world where some parents want to teach creationism. Some want to teach critical race theory. Others want this or that. They're arguing. Why do we have to have a one size fits all? Why can't we let parents make decisions and send kid, their kids to schools that teach things that they think are appropriate for their and avoid this entire mess? It just seems like such an obvious fix. You watch this every day on the news. Parents upset in front of the school board, pounding their fists on a table and everybody's mad and, and the Department of Justice is now getting involved and saying, we're gonna, you know, if, the, if these meetings don't get more calm, we're going to get involved in this and that. Let's get the government the heck out of the school system. We can still, are we not creative enough that we can find ways to afford uh, schools for people who can't afford less advantaged uh, parents? We need to find ways to get the tide to raise all the ships so we don't have people who are living just at this spot where they're barely affording food and things like that, where they can send their kids to good schools. And you know, if they can't, that's what charity's for. Let's get together and make it happen. But to have a one-size-fits-all thing, especially letting the government run the schools and decide what the kids are taught in schools, if they teach them that freedom and democracy are the same thing, guess what they believe when they graduate? Yep. Absolutely. I think that's the key. And we've got to step back and say, we have to do it differently because my concern is at the rate we're going, the United States of America might not be around. We think, oh, gee, it's always been here and always will be. Well, that's what they thought about Rome. That's what they thought about uh, the Habsburg Empire. That's what they thought about uh, many empires throughout history. And they all thought they were the ones that would be here. We are not doing a lot of things right from a pragmatic point of view. Yes, a moral point of view, it's wrong, but also from a pragmatic point of view. You. It is going to have dire results if there's action not taken. And I'm concerned because the action that needs to be taken is not painless. 
it's going to hurt somebody. And with a majority feeling, they're going to say, well, we just get enough people that say we got to print more money. They can do that up to a point and it will work until it doesn't. And then when the laws of reality step in, it can be really painful. And uh, I think we could take control of it by saying we want peace to rule. That's what we want. Peaceful interaction with people. Love it. I know a lot of freedom uh, types are very upset and pessimistic about the way things are going right now, but I don't take that position at all. I'm very optimistic. I think this is the perfect time. I mean, if you were going to start a new movement called Live and Let Live and you were going to bring it to the world, wouldn't you want the time that you're bringing this to be a time where everybody's frustrated with the current state of affairs, right? Just look in the United States. The R's are upset. The D's are upset. They're very well splintered themselves. Um, you know, the, the Democrats have the uh, the very far left wing, the uh, critical race theory people, the deplatforming crowd, the woke crowd. And then there's the more mainstream Democrats. They seem like two completely different political parties. Then there's the Republicans. There's the right wing conspiracy types that love Donald Trump, didn't see anything wrong with the way he acted. And then there's the more moderate Republicans that wish for the days back of Ronald Reagan, where we had a dignified president who didn't call people names, who was a real conservative, who wouldn't have supported things like tariffs and uh, you know, Ronald Reagan, if you remember, wanted to do away with the Department of Education. There's nobody even talking about that. Wanted to actually cut spending. Who's talking about cutting spending today? And so there's so much frustration in the country right now. People really are hungry for something new. It couldn't be a better time for us to unveil this Live and Let Live movement. And we're really just getting ready. This isn't even unveiled yet. We don't start until March of 2023. And that's because it needs to be done in a very world-class, professional type of way and to give us an opportunity to recruit guys like Terry Brock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, you've done a good job of it because I'm already there with you. It's just a matter of the contribution or the commitments. I mean, I've already made and seeing that through, but I definitely want to uh, uh, look at that further because I believe that this is where we need to be. I agree with you, Mark, that when it gets so bad, people then can turn around and you need to get to that point. As long as we're not running into calamity, we're not running into a tragedy and people will say, okay, we've got to embrace them. We go, well, here's an idea. We're not saying just embrace our guy or our gal because there are them. No, it's a principle. Yes. And we can always look at, we can run for, we can get in a time machine, go forward 200 years, tell me whatever the issue is at that point. We'll run it through this wonderful filter called yes. live and let live. And we find out how we're going to react to it. It's yes. not a matter of, well, I like him because he's done this, but I don't like when he said this and he didn't know. Get away from people and get back to principles. Yes, what you just said was so important, and you alluded to it earlier when you're like, voting for a a freedom-based platform has to be more than just voting for a line of issues of here's how you vote on a particular issue. You're absolutely right that, and all these problems that Mark is describing on the left and the right are symptoms of horribly unprincipled parties, right? We have the Democrats taking positions on things like speech and things that five minutes ago in our country's history, they were very interested in protecting. And you have Republicans who, you know, used to take certain positions on foreign policies, changing those positions, changing their positions on printing of money and expanding government projects and things like that. These things are unprincipled. And 
it just goes to tell you that they are thinking in terms of, of what you're critiquing, which is, here's the issues you need to vote for to be a good Republican in 2021. Here's the issues that you need to vote for to <laughs> yep. be to be uh, allegiance to your party, to your team right now. Yeah, just look at it's a great example of what Andy's saying. I would pick two issues. Number one, gay marriage. Both of these parties, Republicans and Democrats, were absolutely opposed to the idea of gay marriage until just recently. The world would end if we could let gay people get married was essentially the position of both parties. Now they're both on the other side, at least at least the Dems are, and I think the Republicans probably don't even come out and say, no, this is wrong, we should change it. Second issue, marijuana. This wasn't, when I started practicing criminal law about 28 years ago, I was the radical crazy, even among other defense attorneys. Oh my God, legalization of marijuana, craziest thing ever. Now we got guys like this speaker, uh, the past speaker of the house, what is his name, uh, Bonner, or uh, I think is his name, who was yes, absolutely- from uh, Ohio, Bonner. Yeah, yes, absolutely against he was the biggest drug war pro drug war guy ever his entire political career now he's running a dispensary or he's pushing medical marijuana in in all legalized marijuana well kamala harris has ruined thousands and thousands of lives pursuing drug war policies and now of course yes she did it a little bit in you know yeah ha, ha. <laughs> i had a little ha, bit ha, of college ha. and then i went and put hundreds if not thousands of people in prison for doing exactly what she did and now we should should legalize again all over the place no principle how could you possibly support a party you don't even know what you're supporting they may wake up in the morning and change their position again terry you were talking about the fleeting how fleeting morality is when you're talking about its relationship to the law right that some people just turn off their brains it's the law well as we sit here in the state of arizona just one year ago just one year ago it was a felony to smoke marijuana recreationally. Did hmm. morality change? Did the state of the moral universe change objectively because of this law being passed? Or did we maybe have it wrong? And maybe we should question just because it's the law that it's the right thing. Absolutely. I think that's the key. We should question that. We should always be thinking and running it through the filter of live and let live. You think throughout history, I can't think of a culture where that wouldn't apply. It applies in all those cultures. It is a wonderful tool, if you will, of how to live life. Francis Schaeffer, the great philosopher uh, long ago, said, we, uh, he, how should we then live? And he had seminars on how should we li then live? What should we do with our lives? And I think if we say, hey, here is a tool that works really well. We understand the basic precepts of it, Mark, like you've laid out in your book and so well on the podcast here to let us know you go ahead and do something, even if you might think it's immoral, as long as somebody is not harming you, they're not taking your stuff. That's the real key in how we live our lives. Gentlemen, we're coming to the end of our time here. It's been a, such a fun conversation. And Terry, you've just been an awesome guest. Do you want to end by um, telling our listeners where they can find you? Is there a website, YouTube page, plug whatever you want? Yeah, exactly. Well, you can find out a lot about me at terrybrock.com. And since those can be spelled different ways, it's T-E-R-R-Y. And Brock is spelled 
the right way, B-R-O-C-K. So it's terrybrock.com and Agorapreneurs is the web channel uh, that you'll see, or the YouTube channel, I should say. And that's A-G-O-R-A, Agora, and then the preneurs, just like it would be in entrepreneurs with P-R-E-N-E-U-R-S, Agorapreneurs. And you'll see a variety of different ways of looking at life. So we talk about the live and let live philosophy and all of it, as even as it relates to, hey, the new version of uh, Zoom is out or here's a tool that's really good for you. Practical, pragmatic ways that you as an entrepreneur can do better, serve people more. And I'd love to hear from you. Let me know you heard about this on the the podcast and we'd love to uh, connect with you that are listening to this right now. Love it. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast today, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. It's great to be with both of you guys. Keep up the good work you're doing. And everybody go check out liveandletlive.org for this podcast and many more episodes. See what we're up to. There's a whole lot of exciting stuff going on. Chapters popping up all over the world with lots of great people. The website will give you everything for more information about the movement, upcoming events, as I mentioned, podcasts. We've got a book coming out. There's going to be conferences. Go check it out. Be part of the solution, not the problem. Don't sit idly and get involved. We appreciate everybody's support. Until next time, this has been attorney Andy Markintel and attorney Mark J. Victor. We are the Peace Radicals. Peace! Peace. <laughs> <laughs>